I'm excited about our new sermon series today, and I, I hope that as we go along, you guys get excited about it as well. Um, many of you know, if you've kind of been here and gotten to know me a little bit at all, that I didn't grow up as part of a Nazarene church. I didn't grow up as a Nazarene. When we go to district assembly and those types of things, we hear all about you know fourth generation Nazarene pastors and stuff. Like I'm a first generation Nazarene. Um, I think that's kind of cool. That like. Um, you know, in college, I fell in love with the Nazarene doctrine and theology. Pretty much the optimism of grace and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is what drew me in. Um, and, and so as I kind of went through the licensing and becoming a pastor in the Nazarene church, um, I got to share that story a lot. And it was always encouraging to hear um, lifelong Nazarenes get excited that the, the doctrine, the teaching, the theology has a reach um, for people that didn't grow up Nazarene. Um, all that said, like I... I chose to become a Nazarene, it's committed, I've become a pastor in the Nazarene church, but I always have this moment of like a little bit of guilt, maybe a little bit of shame when I say what I'm about to say, um, just because of Nazarene history and Nazarene polity. Um, I really like going to the movies. <laughs> and if you don't know anything about Nazarene history, like a while back, uh, maybe not so much in circles these days, but Nazarenes and movie theaters didn't mix. Um, but I really like going to the movie theater. And I missed that during the disruption and all the nonsense uh, over the last year and a half. Um, and so a few weeks ago, we had the opportunity to go to the movie theater for the first time in I don't know how long um, and get our big old bucket of buttery popcorn and sit in a dark, cold room and not move for two hours and no phone calls and no, I mean, I think that, that's a big part of why I like the movie theater is like you're just, uh, anyways, moving on. Um, but the movie we went and saw was Fast and Furious 9. You guys familiar with Fast and Furious? It's, it's a, yeah, there's, there's like 10 or 11 of these movies out, and then they've been, been making these Fast and Furious movies for like 20 years now. Um, like the first one came out in 2000, 2001 maybe. It's, I think I was in college. Um, and that first movie was about street racers in, I, I want to say, the Los Angeles area. George is not, and he would know. Yep, so um, street racers out in L.A., and uh, it kind of focused in on an undercover cop trying to break into this crime ring. Uh, these street racers, one in particular, who owned a grocery store, uh, was stealing DVD players and other electronics from semis to fund their street racing. And that's how this started out. It was this, this supposed to be this gritty look, kind of fake documentary look into the life of street racing in, in L.A. Um, and the core there was this undercover cop who infiltrated this crime ring, uh, got to know this group, the gang, and kind of fell in love with the family, kind of fell in love with this group of oddballs who raced cars together and stole DVD players together. And this strange collection of misfits and rejects and just troublemakers all made this family. And there's this classic scene where they're sitting around a picnic table outside having a barbecue and they, they pray for uh, turbo fuel injectors and uh, you know all multi-port fuel injectors and, and turbos with certain ball bearings and all this stuff. They pray for their car stuff and it's like this spiritual moment but for car folk. Um, 
like I said, they made a bunch of these movies. And so by the time they got to like the fourth or fifth one, it went from this core group of, you know, street racers, a guy that owned a grocery store, um, driving cars that they worked on, fixed up. By the fourth or fifth movie, they were like secret agents for the U.S. government, like flying missiles. Like in this movie that we went and saw, this uh, Fast and Furious 9, uh, at one point, and this is a bit of a spoiler alert for those who are going to go see this, but at one point, two of the, the extended family members were in outer space in a 1985 Pontiac Fiero. <laughs> to say that the, the, the series progressed pretty dramatically it would be an understatement. Uh, but there, it's kind of actually a, a meme, kind of a, a running joke in circles these days because the main character, the guy that becomes the main character, the guy that owned the grocery store who suddenly becomes a secret agent who's un, like bulletproof and stuff, he is put in the most ridiculous situations up against the most difficult odds against trained assassins and secret agents. And kind of the punchline, the running joke is they can do it, they can solve the mission, they can do it because they have family, right? It's, like it's, it, if you're on the internet at all, you're going to see Vin Diesel, like, I got family, you know, and there's, it's, it's hilarious. But um, if you look at popular movies or popular TV shows these days, uh, this seems to be a theme. I mean, I'm obviously picking on Fast and Furious, but it seems to be a theme that you take a group of misfits, a group of people that really don't belong, that would be strangers, probably wouldn't fit anywhere else, and you put them together, and they make not just a team, not just co-workers, but they become a family, right? Think of Avengers, Justice League, um, you know, the, what's that? I heard somebody throwing some suggestions out. Anyways, this is a, it's a, it, TV shows do this, you know, whether it's the old sitcoms that, you know, that strangers end up living to, together and become best friends or become family, right? Like these deep, meaningful relationships. You take strangers and you put them together and they, over time, become family. And, you know, I, I remember people talking about crying when their favorite TV shows ended because it's like their family's breaking up. This is a powerful thing. As, as a society, we, we, we look at these things, and yeah, we laugh about the Pontiac Fiero in space, but we, we look at it and say, man, those relationships, there's something to that. There's something to be a part of a family that, that loves each other that way. There's something about, especially a family that, that wasn't biological, that was, these people chose to be family. And I think one of the things that our culture is, is, has known for a while but is, is realizing more pointedly is that there's a difference between knowing someone as an acquaintance, even calling somebody a friend, and being part of a family. Belonging to somebody, having a group of people that care about you and that you care about them. And so in, in a moment we're going to look at a scripture, it's a letter that was written to a church 2,000 years ago. And in this scripture, you'll see the word you a couple times. And I want you to know that because this is a letter written to a church, when you see the word you, um, you can replace it with the word like you all or y'all because it's plural. He's talking to all y'all in the church, right? And so sometimes English is difficult in biblical translations because a word that is plural, meaning multiple people, you, multiple people, multiple yous, just shows up as you in English, and we can read it and go, oh, Paul was talking to me as an individual. But I want to point out that the you is the all y'all type of thing. So uh, if you have your Bible or just want to follow on the screen or a Bible app, we're in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. Um, Ephesians 2, 
19 through 22. Consequently, you all are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of the household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, y'all, too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, this seems to be an important idea. It seems like from the beginning of Scripture to the very end, to the last page in the Bible, you talk about being family, being part of God's household, being children of God. It seems to be a theme that shows up over and over and over again. And so as we begin this new sermon series where we look at the details of church life, where we look at the question of whether church is even relevant anymore in the lives of our our friends and our families and why do we do what we do and what is it that we do, um, help us to see through the lens of God's family being our family. We thank you and love you. Amen. So we just read a few, just a few short verses out of Ephesians 2. I do want to provide some context because Ephesians 2, uh, say it with me if you know what I'm going to say, is one of my favorite scriptures. All right, um, I say it every week. Uh, Ephesians 2 is fantastic. And so uh, it starts out, this, this chapter starts out by talking about moving from death to life. And now this is a, a, a letter written to a church that's primarily compromised of, uh, not compromised, comprised of, uh, it could be compromised too, I guess, but um, made up of Gentiles uh, in Ephesus. And so Paul is writing to this church and he says, uh, you Gentiles, you Christians, you church, y'all, all y'all have moved from death to life. In verses 4 and 5, he says, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you all y'all have been saved. This new life in Christ is a gift. It is grace, Paul says to these Gentiles in the church in Ephesus. Skip a few verses, 8 and 9. He kind of hammers home the grace idea. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Continue on, he says, that this is the work that God is doing. This is what God is up to. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created by God in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What is God's work? He's building a holy temple through Jesus. And in this, in this scripture, in this passage uh, in Ephesians, and, and honestly, one of the, the major themes in the early church, one of the major struggles that the early church had to wrestle with was the fact that there was two separate, distinct groups. There was Gentiles and there was Jewish folks. There was the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Right? There was two distinct groups that defined who they were and, and how they, they could function uh, Verse 12 and 13 says, Remember that at that time, all y'all were separate from Christ, 
You were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and you were foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. This was, again, written to Gentiles in Ephesus, and he's saying you were outside the family. You were outside of the chosen people. You were excluded from the citizenship of God's chosen people. But now in Christ, you, again, all y'all, who were once far away have been brought nearby through the blood of Christ. And there was conflict, there was disunity, there was separation, there was struggles between these two different groups, and there was tension, and there was wrestling. But verse 14 and 15 reminds us what Jesus' role in this was. He says, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace. So in these two groups where there was tension and struggle and conflict, Jesus is our peace. He has made the two groups one group, and he has destroyed the barrier and the dividing of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And that is what builds up and leads us to our scripture that I read just a moment ago. And uh, whoever is running slides, be ready because I'm going to go through a few real quick. Um, Consequently, he says, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household. Right? So he said, you've gone from death to life. You've, you've received this gift of grace. You once were outside the family of God. You were once not citizens, but through Jesus um, he has made two different groups into one group, right? That's kind of the, the thesis, the foundation of the scripture. And he says, therefore, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but citizens in God's kingdom. You're citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You're not strangers, you're not foreigners, but you belong to God's kingdom and belong to God's family. You're a part of his house. Next slide. It says, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. This new humanity that Paul mentions here didn't just come out of nowhere. It just didn't arrive out of thin air. It didn't come from a clean slate. Jesus didn't show up and just like, well, we're going to start something new that's never existed before. But it's built upon, as Paul says, the apostles and the prophets with Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus is the important stone, the most important stone in this foundation in which your faith is being built on, right? And so when you are brought into this kingdom, when you become a citizen, when you uh, become a member of this family, you are entering into a story that is ancient. You're entering into a community that has deep roots. It's not a blank slate. It's not moving from what you were to nothing, but it's moving from what you were into the people of God who have a long-standing tradition and history. Next slide. In him, the whole building is joined together. In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, if you think about it this way, that, that God was building a temple, this is his story, a place to dwell amongst the people, that, to dwell amongst his creation. And for the Old Testament, there was two piles of stone. There was these stones we call Jewish folk, Israel, the children of Abraham, and then there was these Gentiles. And, and God primarily worked from this one pile over here, the Jewish folks, Israel, 
when he needed to build something, he was like, well, those are the stones I'm going to work with. Abraham, Moses, the prophets, right? That's, and then this pile over here, every once in a while, we might borrow a stone every once in a while. You see some Gentiles doing some things in the Old Testament. But there were two separate piles. And God said, this is where I'm going to build from. But in the scripture, we see a house, a temple being built using both piles. In fact, these piles aren't even piles anymore. They've become a pile. <laughs> they become a quarry. They become the stones that God is going to build with. The distinction, the, the barrier, the wall between them to keep them separate is no longer there. Two stone piles become one stone pile and is used to build the temple. Now back in January, I preached a sermon that talked a little bit about the, the temple in Jerusalem and I shared some pictures up there of some of like the fanciest temples around the world. Um, some of you might remember that. We were making use of our, our new high-def televisions and so I was getting very picture-driven. Um, but some of these temples were, were opulent. They were decadent. There was gold and all kinds of ornate uh, decorations and they were massive and they were impressive. Historically, these temples are some of the most extravagant structures ever built. So the most powerful communities and civilizations in the world have these massive temples that signify their, their wealth and their power and their decadence. And so when we, we hear the scripture, we read this, that in Jesus, everything is coming together to be built into a holy temple for the Lord. Gentiles and Jews together are being built into the temple of the Lord, are, are we thinking that God is using Jews and Gentiles to build a really fancy building <laughs> to impress other people, to look at it and go, wow, that's, look at how much gold they can, is, is that what's going on here or is there something else going on when the scriptures tell us that God is building a holy temple? Why is a temple important? Well, a temple is important because God is present there. Obviously, we believe that God can be everywhere and that God is everywhere and that the Holy Spirit can move freely. But there, there's this idea in, in the ancient world that temples are a special place where the spiritual world and the physical world come together. Some people have described them, scholars and, and others have called them thin places, where the, the curtain between spiritual and physical is, is so thin, it's so narrow that just by being there, you can be closer to God. So to recap... Everything we've covered so far, there's these Gentiles in Ephesus. They've been brought from death to life. They've received God's grace and salvation. They are citizens of God's kingdom and they're members of God's family. They've been brought into a story that has deep roots in God's people. They've been made into a community in which God is present and dwells in their midst. And so I think you can see why this is one of my favorite scriptures. What a profound message this letter has to this church. And today, we're, like I said, we're starting a new sermon series called Church Matters. And the title of the series is deliberately a play on words. Uh, it can have two meanings, probably more, but uh, it can talk about church matters, like things in the church, like these are the matters of the church, like this is what we do, the activities, the programs, the events, the lives, the, all, the, all the matters of the church. But it's also meant to talk about the significance of the church and answer the question, does church matter? People today in our, our society are wondering if church is needed, 
is, can church be and should church be an important part of their lives? To that, we want to spend a few weeks in this sermon series exploring our answer that yes, church matters. During this series, we look at the significance of church in our lives and in the lives of people we know. We will uh, explore the core elements of life as a part of not just church in general, but this specific church. Like we're going to bring the magnifying glass in and talk sometimes at a very detailed level about what's life in first church going to look like. What does it look like? And so to give structure to this, this series, I'm pulling in what I call the four E's. Um, I don't know where these came from. I didn't come up with them. Um, when I was a pastoral candidate, when the uh, interim DS, district superintendent, called me and said, hey, would you be interested in talking to Battle Creek first? I said, sure, and I went to your website. And just the same way you were all anxious to figure out about me and my family, I was curious about you guys. So I went to the website and scrolled down a little bit. There's a thing that says our values. And there was these four E's. And I don't know if a previous pastor put those together and did any teaching on it or if it was just maybe copy and paste from another website. I don't even know where it came from. But I liked it. And so um, I've built, I'm going to use those four E's and I'll explain what they are here in a second, to give structure to this look at what um, our declaration that church matters. And the four E's are embrace community, encounter God, experience service, and engage culture. And if you are somebody who knows where that came from, please come tell me, because <laughs> I, I feel awkward telling you I don't know where that came from. But I liked it, so we're sticking with them. But this week and next week, we're going to talk about embracing community. There are people who live in our communities, who are desperate for true relationship. There are people in our, our neighborhoods, our families that you work with, that you go to school with, that you see at the grocery store. They're desperate for true community. Busyness, individualism, broken relationships keep people of all ages from having a place to belong. Not only is our society diverse, but it's increasingly becoming more tribal. We've staked out territory. Um, to belong here, to belong with me or to belong with this group, you have to be like me, think like me, look like me, uh, talk like me, vote like me. Right? We've developed criteria of who can come in and who can go. This is the way our society is doing. And, and it filters out. Nobody's exactly the same as anybody else, so it starts filtering people out. How many places in Battle Creek and the surrounding area provide the opportunity for real community? How many people, uh, and you can, you can think about this, you can raise your hand if you want to, but how many people live more than 30 minutes away from their closest relative? Right? Think about the world, think about your community, like, I'm not talking about like your spouse or your kids. There's some parents going, I wish I lived 30 minutes away from my kids. Um, no, we didn't say that. Um, but we're spread out. Our families experience, uh, we move for work, we move for uh, financial reasons, we move for school issues, we move um, for a lot of different reasons, but we aren't core little communities that you grow up with your, your family and you, families move. And so some families that, you know, some of your family members that lived in this area moved elsewhere. Some of you guys have moved to the Battle Creek area, and there's more people moving to the Battle Creek area all the time. 
As someone who has recently moved, I can tell you, I mean, number one, don't move during a pandemic. That makes things exponentially more difficult. Um, but it's hard to develop new and meaningful relationships out there. Right? There's a lot of places where I can go as a customer. There's a lot of places I can go as a consumer. If I'm going to put some money on the table or swipe my card, then everybody will be my best friend. Uh, but there's not a lot of places where I can go and just belong, right? They're happy to have a, a consumer, a customer, but to have a friend, to have a family, it's tough. And so we ask the question that the culture's asking. Does the church matter these days? Does the church matter these days for seniors who are looking for community to help them navigate retirement, to help them with their health challenges and needs, to help them grieve the loss of loved ones, to help them work through a world that changes faster than they they can keep up? Does the church matter for middle-aged folks who are going through major life transitions right now? Does middle-aged folks need community in, um, to help them find purpose and meaning in their lives, to find fulfillment, maybe to navigate career changes, maybe to, to talk about empty nests and what it means to be uh, parents of young adults that have transitioned in their stage of life? Does church matter for young adults who are looking for community to help answer questions about relationships? Questions about starting a career, questions about starting a family, questions about parenting, right? And all the more challenges about being a young adult and taking your first steps and things. I remember the getting in the van, uh, the car, the SUV, when Jonas was born, coming home from the hospital, going, "Okay, now we're parents." Like (laughs) they just literally just gave us this kid and sent us on our way, right? We had questions. (laughs) Does church matter for teens and children that are looking for safe and stable places to ask questions? Places that they can be themselves. Places that they can make mistakes and learn from them. That they can grow. They can figure out what their life should look like. Does church matter in our lives today? Do you think church could be or should be or can be important for each of these different generations that I mentioned? And the truth is, sadly, many have not found what they're looking for in the local church. This is what statistics have been telling us for the last decade or longer. Um, That even people who believe in Jesus look at the church and say, eh, that's not quite as important as I thought it was. It's not adding anything significant to my lives. And I I think one of the things that made pastors very nervous about the whole pandemic and going online was, well, when the doors opened again, would people see the value in coming and gathering in person? If I can stay at home and drink my coffee on the couch and watch not some local yokel guy, but the best pastors, the best preachers, the biggest churches, would anybody want to come back and find value in the local church. Does the local church matter? It made a lot of pastors nervous. The, the, the 
reputation of some churches that we've become a religious country club. We've heard this thrown about for probably a long time. Um, that some people think that we pay our membership dues and it's got VIPs. There's organizational politics that goes on, power structures, that you have position based off of your status or your title or your finances or how close to the leader you can get. And it's that kind of church that so many people in our day are rejecting. People are looking at churches that function that way and say, eh, that church doesn't matter to me. It doesn't meet any of my needs. It doesn't fulfill any of the, the criteria of what I want to include in my life. And the, the sad thing is, the tricky thing is, this might even include large churches or churches that are growing. Right? You can't judge how well a church is functioning faithfully by the size of it. You really can't. We read District Assembly this, this past week and we looked at the reports and everybody's church's size and some of the best conversations I had were with pastors of small churches who were just doing their best to be faithful. Um, so there might be a lot of people in these, these kind of churches that these churches might even be, be growing. But have you ever been in a large group part of a large event or in part of a large group and feel like you don't belong there? There's a lot of people, but it might feel awfully alone. I remember I've had those moments where it seems like everybody else knows what's going on or everybody else belongs and I'm just kind of an outsider. They might even welcome me. They might even tolerate me, but I'm not one of them, right? Or you might feel like they only want me here because they want something from me. So some people go to church but they never feel like they belong with the church. And so that's why our goal isn't to get people to attend church. Our goal isn't to get people to come to services. That's not what we're, we're trying to do here. Our value, our goal, isn't to get one people in a room. To get a lot of people in that room. Um, can we put the next slide up? This is our goal. Our goal is for people to belong to the grace-filled family known as First Church, right? And that's a distinctive, different goal than having a lot of people to fill these nice new chairs, right? Our goal isn't to get people to sit in chairs. Our goal is for people to belong to this grace-filled family known as First Church. And that's why this first Sunday, where we're, uh, the sermon series we're talking about embracing community, the emphasis is on belonging, You've heard a lot about, probably, if you've been around the church for any length of time, about being disciples who make disciples. And I think that's a good phrase. It's a good reminder. But what about being a member of a family who helps others to be members of the family? The people who live in our communities are desperate for true community. We have the next slide up, please. The church is not a place people go. I don't know why it has the word as in there. The church is not a place people go, but a family to which people belong. This is going to be core. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of curiosity about what First Church is going to be doing in the future. Like We have conversations all the time that feels like we're on the beginning of something. It's an important season in the life of our church, and I think that's going to be key the church is not a place people go, but a family to which people belong. Our desire, our mission is not to get more people to go here. Our desire and mission is to have more people belong here. So why am I asking you to embrace community? 
why isn't the value just community? Well, number one, community doesn't start with E and wasn't on the website. No, but number two, because people can go here and it not affect you. We might have a visitor come in and sit in the back or in the corner and not talk to anybody and you wouldn't even know it. It happens, believe it or not. People can go here and it not affect you or impact you at all. But for people to belong here, to add to our family, it will change the dynamics. People don't just accidentally end up as part of your family. Right? Think about all the different ways that your family can grow. And think about, did this require change? Did this require effort? Maybe you were a little bit uncomfortable at times. Like, how, do yours, how does your family grow? You can get married. Right? That changes the family dynamic a little bit. Took a little bit of work to make happen. Maybe a little bit of patience, change of attitude, change of activities, behaviors, right? Getting married, married changes things. How about adding to your family by having your very first child? Does that change <laughs> your experience? I think it does, right? It requires work. You have to embrace that as a parent. You have to say, oh, I'm going to embrace this little one that I've brought home from the hospital and don't know what to do with. How about having multiple children, right? You've added to your, your family now <laughs> by maybe two or three kids, four some of y'all are crazy and had way more than that. Um, but that changes things, right? You have, to, you have to come back and say, okay, as parents, what am I going to do? How is this family going to function now that we have more people? And of course, your kids are never the exact same personality. They're different, right? So then you have, well, for this person, it's this, and this person is that, and this one, like, we don't know what to do with that one. Um, or adopting children, or Maybe your kids have grown up and gotten married and you're adding to your family by having uh, in-laws, right? That changes things. What's Christmas going to look like this year? Where are the, where are the kids going to go? Um, are my feelings going to get hurt if they go someplace else? Or what about blended families or, you know, families that have been, uh, you know, remarriages and children from multiple marriages, and, right? It takes effort, deliberate conscious effort to build a family to add to your family it, people don't just end up accidentally becoming part of your family one day well, how did you get here we, it takes effort for somebody to belong and so that's why embracing community is a value for us to help somebody move from stranger to family member is a process that requires a commitment a commitment to embrace community if more people belong with First Church, your sense of what is familiar might be challenged. As new people come in, they might have different opinions, different experiences, different thoughts, have different questions than you, different needs than you. You might not feel, feel like you know what's going on all the time. It might be a little disorienting. But if we as a church commit to helping others help them find their family here. If we do the work, if we commit to making them feel welcome, to make sure that they belong, guess what? Your family grows too. Your sense of belonging grows too. Your community gets deeper and richer as more people belong to your family. So embrace community. Belong to a family that works to help others 
belong to the family. God's plan for us as a church, as individuals, as a, as a group together, God's plan for us is not to be consumers of religious goods and services, but to be daughters and sons adopted into God's family. Our hope, our vision, our dream is for First Church not to be a place that we go, but to be a family in which we belong.